0: This week we we touch on one that is probably not even the littlest a little bit theoretical because all of us have dealt with uh, the issue of money at one point in our lives i would suspect and Jesus certainly didn't shy away from talking about money and yet in the church money is one of those topics that tends to be something we either shy away from or we get really uncomfortable if the pastor starts talking about it because we're afraid he's going to tell us to give more money and haven't I given enough Uh, is often a, a traditional response so today I want us to step back and look at what Christ had to say not only from the story of the widow's offering but some of the other statements he made about our treasure about our money about the gifts that he's given us we sang just a little bit ago ...of who our worship is and all we have is His? Well, do we mean that? We're going to kind of wrestle with those questions today. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to open up in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. And I'd like you to read along with me as I read the story of the widow's offering. Uh, Lori read it earlier. This time I'll read it uh, for you. So follow along, please, as we uh, read Matthew, or Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, put in everything, all she had to live on. Lord, would you teach us today as we look at your word and apply it to our lives, would we be known as a generous church, as a generous family, a family that loves and honors you with everything you've given us, in your name I pray, amen. I don't know if, you're, if you've noticed, but I have red hair. If you are British, uh, you would know that's called ginger hair. Uh, you'll notice also that it is redder on my face than it is on my head. But when I was a kid, there was a famous play that was recapturing the uh, imagination of America. And it featured a little girl with red hair. And I remember being six or seven years old, hearing all the time because I had big curly hair. Oh, are you like Annie? No, I'm a boy. (laughs) And so shortly thereafter, I think I talked my parents into letting me get my hair cut. But if you remember, there are two main characters in the story of Annie, are there not? There is little orphan Annie. She has no family. And then there's Daddy Warbucks, right? Daddy Warbucks is not poor. Daddy Warbucks has more money than he seems to have sense, And Daddy Warbucks, seemingly from the picture we're painted in the story, seems to know very well how to take care of himself. But from one circumstance on to another, he ends up taking care of a little orphan girl who has nothing. And as the story progresses, does Annie end up becoming more selfish and more materialistic and more uh, just self-filled? No, she doesn't. Daddy Warbucks learns a new definition of giving and a new definition of love as he learns to take care of this little girl. And they go through this up and down journey. You can watch the movie. You can watch the play. But it's interesting, of all the arcs that go throughout the story of Annie, the underlying one is that, you know, there's something that's far greater than wealth. And it's love. And while it's a secular play, it can teach us a far greater lesson than just love. Because the world searches for love, but we... In Christ, no, there is only one true way to understand love, and that's through Jesus Christ. And as Daddy Warbucks was learning that love is ultimately relational, we, the church, can learn a lot from this story before us that giving, the very act of generosity, is one that's a relational act. You know, in the church... Uh, I'm often, when I was a youth minister, especially, and we tried to teach on giving and tithing, one of the first questions would be asked is, well, how much do I have to give? Right? And the stock answer that comes from the Old Testament tradition is 10%. And that is a great place to start. And I highly recommend that. Uh, tithing, uh, as was explained in Malachi, had to do with giving of, of 10%. If you go back pre, uh, Exilic terms. It actually three times a year uh, the the Hebrew people were called to give, and it amounted to about twenty three percent. And we often gloss over that, and we jump in to say ten percent. But then we get to the New Testament, and we start looking at, at what Jesus has to say about money. And let me just explore a few things he says. First, somebody asked him about taxes. Everybody loves taxes, right? No, but two things are certain in life: death and taxes, right? Yes. We don't get real excited about taxes. However, we expect our civilizations, our cultures to take care of us and, and meet those needs that we have. Uh, and so it, it's, it's kind of a, a love-hate relationship. But Jesus, when asked, well, who should I pay my taxes to? He pulls out a coin. Well, handy for me. I've got all these right down here. And he looks on one side and he says, who's on this coin? And the answer is Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar. What is Caesar? Caesar. And God's, what is God's? Okay, so we get the idea that we we should follow the law. And that's a good thing. And so you should pay your taxes, to which I say, duh. And and then he goes on. And uh, another time he's raised, Lord, I've followed all the commands. What else should I do? (laughs) And Jesus looks at the guy who had much wealth, we're told. And he looks at the man and he says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the man turns around and walks away. Jesus also tells us that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you could say, well, that doesn't just have to do with money. And I would say, exactly. That's the point. He also says things like, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. The underlying principle there is only one will control your heart. Where is your allegiance truly lying? And then we're told to set our heart on things above. Time and again, Jesus invites us to a role of generosity in the world we live in. We're told throughout the scriptures that we, the family of God, should take care of the poor, the widows, the least of these, and some of that means financially helping them. We're given pictures of Jesus throughout, of giving his own life as an offering to save others, and said that we should follow his example. So, what do we do with a story like the one before us today, where there's a group of rich religious people that come in and they very loudly and boldly drop down and give everything they had. And where the offering... Um, Receptacles were in those days. It wasn't that people came in and handed out the offering. There were stands set up and in each one of those you could drop your money into those stands and this would have been held out in one of the outer courts of the temple where the women could give as well. And so it was a public place. And we find Jesus sitting there in this rather public place watching as people come into the temple because the money was to be given to God. It was to be used for the glory of God for the purposes to expand his kingdom. And so people were coming in and they were giving, but what had happened in the day, in that day and age was that the size of the gift was tied to your status among the religious elite. So if you, much like Jaden in our story, could come in and bring a big old bag and drop it in, well, yeah, you must really love God. But then if you noticed when that those two coins were given. You couldn't even hear them drop in to the offering receptacle before us this morning. Nor would anyone have heard that widow that gave all she had, because the coin, from our understanding, would have been so thin it wouldn't have weighed anything, and really it had such little value in the eyes of man. But we see a, an amazing principle right off the bat is that generosity doesn't begin with us. This woman went into the temple to express her love and her devotion to God. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Now, if I have to sit down, which I do this week, and look at the church budget, and look as we prepare for the new year to come, and I look at a penny, I think, well that's not going to do us a whole lot of good when our budget uh, exceeds a penny by a lot. We need millions of pennies to meet our current budget. But yet, there's something to be said for people that give out of love for the Lord, not out of just the abundance they have. Is there anything wrong with wealth in and of itself? Absolutely not. But the interesting thing here is is that the woman was expressing her love for God and gave all she could. While the other was expressing his love and said, kind of, look at me. Here I am, make sure everyone sees it. I'm going to do it loudly and I'm going to throw it in. Now those of us who have much, we should give much. And much is expected. But generosity is a joyful act of worship. It's a joyful privilege that we've been invited into to say, here, Lord, it's yours anyway. I'm going to give it to you. And we're given a different economic picture than the one we see in the world we live in today. I grew up in the 90s. That was my era. So if I put on a radio station, I hope it plays music from the 90s. And I remember a song from the 90s called, I Want to Be Rich. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this song, but I could still probably sing most of the words, to which I will not, because you don't want to hear me sing. But the whole song was, I want to be rich. I want to have lots and lots of money. I want to fly high in the sky. That was the basic premise of the song. And if I get lots of money, I will be very happy. If you grew up a couple of decades before that, you might be more familiar with a group called Pink Floyd. Okay, a couple of you know remember who Pink Floyd were. And they happened to sing a song that was aptly titled... Money, and the whole song was about money, how it sounded, how it felt, what you did with it, and that was that song. We have a fascination across cultural lines, and as long as society has been in existence, with money and the accumulation of it. But right off the bat here, we see a widow come in to the temple and express her love for God by saying, Lord, all I have is yours. Generosity begins with God and with worship, with our willingness to say, Lord, it's all yours. And we're going to explore that further. But I want us to keep in mind that giving, whether it be of our time, of our name, of our money, of our resources, of our gifts, it is all done out of worship, out of a love for God that says, Lord, This is yours. Take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to thee. I think of a story I was told of one of the guys that I just have the utmost respect for in the world. And I want to read to you a little bit of his story. In 1951, a young couple in Los Angeles decided to sign a contract. We're very familiar with contracts today. They should be uh, binding agreements with uh, the other party, right? Yeah, we understand that. But this contract was different. This young couple signed a contract surrendering everything they owned to Jesus. A few years earlier, the husband had been a businessman, rather successful one at that, focused on trying to build his own empire. But coming to Jesus Christ had changed his perspective. And he and his wife began to think about what they really wanted out of life. So they wrote out a contract with God. Interestingly, they went in different rooms and wrote them out separately asking God to use them in in different things. And when they came back together, they settled on what that would look like together. The contract reflected a decision to no longer work day and night for the bottom line. That instead of building their business to lay up treasures on earth, they would trust God and lay up treasures in heaven. One day later, God gave them a vision for the world that would change millions of lives. And Campus Crusade for Christ was born. Bill and Von Atbright didn't just offer their income to God. They offered every area of their lives. This is what they said. Total, absolute, irrevocable surrender. Bill said shortly before his death in 2003. Millions of dollars would pass through their hands. But they gave all of it away. Except for a modest annual salary to live on. They made a decision. Excuse me they made a decision not to accept royalties for books or honorariums for speaking engagements they gave away their pension to start a campus center at a re- at a russian university even a 1 million dollar grant that came with the templeton prize for progress in religion in 1996 was quickly put to use for kingdom purposes they insisted that they had already given everything away in 1951 so it wasn't theirs anyway the brights knew when they started their ministry that God would lead them and provide them everything they needed. They found their we- the well-known statement true, you can't outgive God. That perspective shaped a global ministry that has impacted college campuses and nations for decades, including ours. I know some of you have grown up I- encouraged and blessed by campus fruit. Cre- yeah. Let me try that again. Campus Crusade for Christ. The Brights built their lives on the belief that if you use whatever you have for God's glory, he will take care of everything else. And using it for God's glory means fulfilling the Great Commission. The Brights emphasize that when we get to heaven, the issue won't be how much money we made. It will be whether we were faithful to what he called us to do. Your view of God determines everything, your lifestyle, friends, literature, the music you enjoy, Bill said. Everything about you is influenced by your view of God. That's the reason we've never felt we should take a penny. We're not on our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. When Bill and Vonette made their commitment to the Lord, their generosity was just a reflection of the generosity of God himself who gave his son as a sacrifice and ransom for many. And they said, well, if he's given that much, (laughs) what more could we possibly give? And the rest of their lives were dedicated to investing in specifically university students all over the world. And some of you in this room are a result of loving people associated with Campus Crusade for, for Christ over the years generosity is an expression of our love for God that transforms relationships, that transforms our very lifestyle. But it doesn't stop there. It is also an act of faith-filled sacrificial living. If you still have your bulletin and you didn't yet fill in your contact card, please do so after the service, but you flip over that contact card and you'll notice that our vision and our core values are on the back. And you'll notice the last two core values we talk about there say this. We at Alliance International Church value sacrificial living. We will embrace the vision of our local church by serving, utilizing our spiritual gifting, and giving in a generous and faithful manner. And we also value faith-filled living. God calls us to take continual steps of faith, which often involves change. Right in our DNA as a church family, we want to model the idea that we can give sacrificially of our time and of our resources and of our finances, and that we will take steps of faith for the glory of God. But this isn't just an idea that men and women sat around and said, Ooh, that sounds fun and churchy. These are biblical principles. You see, faith increases giving. As we step out in faith, we say, We're going to give more to you, Lord. And as our giving increases, it's amazing because he stretches our faith. Doesn't he? I remember a few years ago, my wife and I, Uh, were at a point in our marriage where we didn't have a lot and we were trying to press forward and modeling a a life of sacrificial giving. And it had come time to do what we we introduced to our church family this year. We had to fill out our faith promise card and, and commit this much to giving to the Lord. But our church also felt that one of the ways we could impact our kingdom in Minnesota or God's kingdom in Minnesota was to build a new building. And that was a huge step for our church because we weren't a wealthy church. We were literally a church in the middle of cornfields. The town had 60 people in it and God had blessed us with a church that was a a bit larger than that. But we were endeavoring to take a step of faith and build a 2 million US dollar building. So roughly $16 million Hong Kong. And Melissa and I sat down and we we looked at our finances and we said, we're stretched. What do we do? And so we kind of did what Bill and Vonette uh, it did and I didn't know they'd done this at the time we went off into other rooms <laughs> and we prayed about it and we came back with numbers of what percentage we felt we should give not what we could give because we already felt like we could give this and we came back and it was a number quite a bit higher than theoretically we could do but we said we sat there and we prayed and we said Lord here it is We're going to give this much to missions. We're going to give this much to our general tithes and offerings. And we're going to give this much to to the new building. And we're going to do it. And we're going to trust you. And you know what? He honored that. He didn't honor it because we gave a lot. Because there are people in the church that could give far more. But we were obedient to him and where he led. And we were so blessed at that season of life. And part of that blessing ended up leading us to Hong Kong to follow him here. And that was just one part of the story. But we said, Lord, it's all yours anyway, so here you go. You take us where you want. Faith increases our giving because we say, Lord, it's yours. I'll follow you. Bill and Vonette did the same. And then giving increases our faith. Lord, it's yours. What do you want me to do? How can I do more? How can I follow you? Where do you want me to go? They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty... Put in almost everything. She put in a large portion, right? No, that's not what the text says. The text says she put in everything. Indicating that as far as we know, she didn't know where the next meal would come from. But her love for God was more important than her love for herself. Than her provision for herself. Her security seemingly was in God alone. And so she took the step of of faith with with two little coins, dropping it in, and says, Lord, it's yours. And her generosity still is spoken about today, 2,000 years later. It is an act of faith-filled, sacrificial living. I dare us, myself included. This has been a hard message for me because... I've wanted to ask the Lord, how can I adjust and, and make changes in my spending, in my time, in my resources? And I'm learning with you. We're learning together. But generosity is an act of faith-filled, sacrificial living. It, if your personality type is like mine, then this will resonate with you. It's an adventure. In, in a security that says, Lord, it's yours. Let's see where it's going to go because I don't know what's out here except I'm going to follow you. And I know, uh, as I gave, our, our, our staff took a personality inventory this week. Some of you are familiar with what's called the disc test. And I've given that thing to staffs over 10 years of ministry and even before that and when I was in the, the uh, academic world. And I love introducing people to the idea that we are uniquely made and we're not all the same. And so while some of us love that idea of adventure, others of you really love that idea of stability, right? Right? We like our ducks to be neatly in a row and we like to know how everything's going to work out. But yet as we see in the scriptures, there's not always a promise that we're going to be told how everything is going to work out. Just that God's got us in his hands. For those of us that are in Christ, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will provide for us. I am not promising you a prosperity gospel. I am not saying if you give more, God will give you bigger stuff. No, what I am saying is the more we give, the more opportunities God gives us to bless other people and to worship him. Because ultimately, giving and generosity is about our worship for God and the ability to bless others by using the resources he's given us. If it becomes about us, we've become selfish and we've missed the point. The blessings that come should be used then to bless others. Because as we see next, it increases our giving, it increases our faith. And look at what Jesus says next. This poor widow has put, in, put more into the treasury than all the others. In other words, God's not just looking at our money. <laughs> it's all his. He's created this world. It's all under his dominion, under his control. He doesn't need our money. His plans will be successful. We are sure of that. He's looking for sacrifice. Because the woman, the one that was elevated, that was shown to be the true giver, was the one that sacrificed much. The people that gave out of their wealth, it meant nothing to them to just drop it in the offering. That was easy. They wouldn't have even noticed it was gone. That's kind of the picture we're given. And some of us give that way to the Lord. Where it doesn't stretch us. And it's great that you're giving. If that's how you give. And and I appreciate that you're giving. But you're missing the joyful act of sacrificial giving. That the Lord gives us an opportunity to. Because throughout the scriptures. We're invited to lay down our lives. For the sake of him. We're invited to give all we have as a spiritual act of worship. We're invited to offer ourselves and give it back to the Lord, whose it is all along anyway. We're invited to say that our treasure is not here on earth. Our treasure is heavenly. And therefore, everything in this earth should be invested in building the kingdom of eternity. If our treasure is here, well, then so is our reward. And all of these principles come together to say there's so much more to life than padding a bank account, than living comfortably, than making sure we've got everything under control. Instead, we're invited to step out in faith and say, Lord, it's yours. I find great joy in giving it back to you. There is joy in sacrifice. And we can bless others with the blessings God has given us. Whether it's financial, whether it's of your gifts. I was so blessed to see our worship team this morning. And I... I got the privilege of being Angela's youth pastor back when she was in youth group and to see her leading worship now. She's using her time and her resources for the glory of God as is the whole team and to see the journey they've been on is a blessing. Some of them don't sleep at night and they just, they perform the night before, they take a quick nap and they come and they share with us in worship. Others give of their time in other ways in the church and use their gifts for the glory of God Many give your days off to honor the Lord and worship him together and find joy in doing it And I look at the story of Zacchaeus Remember the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he I always like that because I'm a wee little man but beyond that it is a powerful story of one who when he encounters the Lord Jesus Christ it transforms everything it transforms how he sees the world and he makes a dramatic shift from being a miserly tax collector that as far as we can tell was quite well off to turning around and giving away 50% of what he had and then repaying everyone he'd swindled four times what he'd taken from them do the math that's a lot And he gave it all, and he did so seemingly excitedly. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Lord, here it is. It's yours. Take it. I want it for you. It's all for you, and I'm going to do it. And you get this picture that he's doing that not publicly to say, look at me. He's doing it because he's so excited, because he's encountered Jesus Christ. He says, it's yours, Lord. I want to make sure people know who you are. And if my money can be used for that, awesome. And he gives so joyfully. Do we give joyfully? Or do we give out of this sense of obligation? Do we hoard what we have? There's a story told of a woman named Hetty Green. Uh, And it's a story of great misery and sadness, if you ask me. Uh, But this woman named Hetty Green had inherited several million dollars, and she 'd multiplied it many times over through the stock market. Still, she refused to live in anything fancy. she lived in very dark and, and damp environments she resold used newspapers to make extra money and empty bottles, carried crackers in a purse to avoid the expensive restaurants. And this was beyond just being frugal. It was miserly. Her son broke his leg at one point in an accident. And even though her annual income way back in the day exceeded $7 million annually, she tried to have him treated at charity ward so she didn't have to pay for his treatment. When she was recognized and turned away because she wasn't a charity case, she got angry and determined to heal his his wounds herself. And instead, eventually, he had to have his leg amputated. She was so concerned to holding on to all that wealth that she couldn't even take care of her own son. And she hoarded it all. And as far as I know, died an empty and a hopeless woman that was filthy rich. She got her treasure and didn't even know how to do it. The hoarding of her wealth was sick. She never experienced the joy of giving it away, of saying, Lord, it's yours. And instead, her own son lost his leg because she couldn't see to give to help her son. But yet we have a God who looked at us and saw our brokenness and gave so miraculously that he gave his only son for us. And when we're invited to give back to him, why is it so hard for us to say, I can't afford it when he gave his most prized possession, his son. You see, sacrificial living is joyful living. We're told in Hebrews 12 that Jesus went to the cross. And if I I read you these words, they're a great picture and a reminder for us, but let me read it to you. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 tell us a powerful thing. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us not get caught up in the things of this world that are passing away. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross. He gave his very life for the joy set before him. Scorning shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're told, let us not grow weary and lose heart. There is great joy in living sacrificially. Of saying, God, I've given this much of, of whatever. How can I give more? Who else can I invest in? Who can I love intentionally? How can you use my gifts to further your kingdom work? And Lord, it is great fun. One of the interesting things about giving of yourself, of giving joyfully, is it often is a re- it is always a relational thing. And if you've started to invest in someone else, sometimes it's a labor of love. But over time, you'll realize that as you give of yourself and invest in another person, you know what happens? Your relationship with them deepens, doesn't it? As you spend time together, you grow together. As you give of your resources, of your abilities, of your knowledge, of your wisdom, what happens? You're bound together in this relationship that draws you together and allows you to move together. And it's a great thing because you've invested in that relationship and it draws you closer. And it goes from, how you doing? Fine to sitting down and having real conversations and engaging in life together. And if you're in Christ, following Him and saying, where could God lead us today? In the same way, what if we began investing in our relationship with the Lord, giving back to Him what was already His? You know what? We will draw closer to Him. It's just common sense. There is great joy in giving. There is great joy in generosity. A guy named Chip Ingram says, I'd like us to consider the Christmas story. When we think about generosity, and I thought, well, yeah, obviously God, the great gift of the incarnation, God gave his son. But Chip Ingram actually breaks it down into things that we can be challenged to give. And he does so, and he starts at the bottom. He says, we often think that giving of our money is the, is the biggest. And he says, but that's the, the first step. The Magi, uh, we, we talked about them over the Christmas season. They were, they were people from afar. They, they looked at the heavens. They were wise men, theoretically. And when they came, they followed the star. They got directions to Bethlehem. And when they encountered Jesus, they gave of what they had. <laughs> Simple as that. They gave great and valuable gifts. They gave their money. And that's a good lesson for us. They encountered the king and they worshipped him in the giving of their money. But that's not the only person in the story, is it? Well, the shepherds, the shepherds heard about the birth of their king from the angels. And what did they do? Well, shepherds have a long 24-hour job. They're never off the clock. Shepherds had to take care of the sheep. But in this case, we see the shepherds left their sheep, walked off, and went straight to worship their king. And you know what? They gave of their time. (laughs) they went and said, worshiping the king is more important than the sheep. And so they gave of their time. Then we look at the next one, Joseph. Joseph was told to marry in the eyes of mankind an adulterer. And the right thing for him to do would have been to divorce her. And the justifiable thing for him to do would have been to do it very loudly because she had cheated on him and was going to have a child out of wedlock. His reputation would be at stake if he says, yes, I'm going to go through with this marriage. Because for the rest of their married life, he would be mocked and ridiculed as, oh, you're the guy that married the woman that cheated on you and you knew it. You don't do that in Hebrew culture. He shouldn't have done it. But he trusted God with his reputation and said, I'll do it. I will walk with Mary through this journey. He trusted the Lord with his very reputation, even though in the eyes of man, he was going a very subversive route. Mary, Mary, I have no doubt, was like... Every other woman that looked at her future and thought about the fact that she was about to marry a man, have a simple life. She probably had plans of her own. I want 2.6 kids. I want to live here. I want to make sure my children enjoy their grandparents and we have this, that, and the other. And then the angel appeared to her. Gabriel appears to her and tells her what's about to happen. And she said, okay, Lord, your will be done. I'll do it. And her future was turned over to the Lord. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child. And he shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Imagine Mary for a second. I'm not sure I'd have that kind of faith to say, Lord, okay. I'm yours. But Mary obeyed and followed. And we look at Jesus. The very son of God. Gave his own life. As a ransom for us. He looked down. He said. If you believe in me. You'll have life. For all eternity. You will be with me and my father. And he gave himself up. For us as a sacrifice. That very act of giving. Lived out. Greater love has no man than this. Then he would lay down his life. For another We're told that it's easy to lay... Maybe it's easy to lay down your life for a friend... But Jesus laid down his life for sinners that betrayed him... That chose to go a different route time and again... And yet he gave his very life for us... For us who are sinners have chosen to go our own way... Jesus gave of himself... And he said, this is my body broken for you... This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins... In John chapter 16 and 17, we read of Jesus' last earthly prayer. And it is so powerful to me because in that prayer, and we're going to talk about this probably again uh, toward the end of our series, he makes this statement, Father, all I have is yours. God the Son telling God the Father, it's all yours. But it doesn't stop. There's even another level. Your most precious possession. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I think about it. My most precious possessions can be counted in four. One is sitting right there. The other three are upstairs in Kidmo. And I love you and I love Jesus, but I can't imagine the thought of losing even one of them. I remember my last year as a youth minister in the States, I went to a conference with our students, and Francis Chan, some of you have heard of him, was our speaker. If you're you're familiar with the Christian Missionary Alliance, we run this youth conference every three years called Life. And it's been around since I was a, a young boy. And Francis Chan got up and he was preaching on this idea that God gave his very son and he invited his daughter, who at the age was 11, up onto the stage. And there was a cross. And he tied, in the most powerful example I've seen, he tied his daughter the cross. And then he prayed over her and said, Lord, here she is. She's yours. And he meant it. There was no question in my mind as he tied his daughter to a cross. He didn't hang her there. But as a demonstration to us, to the youth there, that everything Francis had was the Lord's. He let everyone see, here it is. I would give my very daughter for the sake of your name, Jesus. And I remember thinking that day, I don't know if I could do that. And all I had was a wife. I didn't have children. I now have three children. But you know what? I can stand here and honestly tell you, as much as I love my children the glory of God is more important. As much as I adore my wife, and she is amazing, you should get to know her. If it was for God's benefit that he needed to take her from me, not my will, but his be done. If he took everything from us and we were left with nothing, could we say, thank you, Lord, it's yours anyway. Abraham was given a challenge with Isaac, and he obeyed. And the Lord provided a substitute. I don't know what the priorities are in your life, whether you're wrestling with giving of your money, with the dedicating your time, with your reputation, with your future, with your life, with your most valuable possession. But Jesus has given us such a powerful example of, it's all the Lord's, it's all for the glory of the Father. So why not live a joyous life of sacrificial living that pleases him? Why not follow the path set before us by people like the church in Macedonia? I want to read to you what Paul wrote about this church in Macedonia because it's, it's a powerful picture for us wherever we are. This comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Macedonian church was facing tremendous persecution and they were not a wealthy church. But listen to their engagement with the gospel. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. God's not looking for your money. He's looking for you. To be willing to say, Lord, all I have is yours. You've been so generous to me. How could I not give it back to you? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would look at giving as a joy, that we would look at our lives as an offering to you that brings glory to your name. I pray that we would look at our time, that we would look at our bank account, that we would look at our lifestyle, and we would say, Lord, shape us. May every ounce of our lives tell your story. In your holy name I pray, amen. Amen.